you would, turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. If, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be some few, few Bibles in the row in front of you. Page 58 is where you will find our passage for this morning. Uh, one of the challenges of preaching through a book like Exodus is... Most of the story happens in these really big chunks. And so I'm going to read the whole chapter 16. And so if you would bear with me, this is God's word. And it is the this is the best part of the service. It is the best part of the sermon. Everything that I say after this point is going to be me talking about this passage. But when we give attention to God's word, it is God speaking to us. And so we need his spirit to open the word up. So let's read and then we'll pray. Exodus chapter 16. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Now, sin right there doesn't mean sinfulness. It's just the name of a place. Okay, Uh, the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full because you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly With hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was, a, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, They said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. 
and it didn't stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Look, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And now, God, we pray that you would bless the reading of it, the hearing of it, and the preaching of it. God, would you give us eyes to see? Would you open our deaf ears? Would you soften our hard hearts? Father, would we warm to your word? Would we warm to your good news? Help us to see Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Fairy tales are nice, aren't they? We, we like the idea of the happily ever after. And I think that, um, that if... Disney or if Hollywood were telling the story of the Exodus, right when we get to Exodus 15, which we looked at last week, right? Usually, usually in a fairy tale or in a fantasy story, you have kind of a big battle or, you know, or maybe sometimes you got the big battle and the romantic moment and then the hero and his true love or the hero and his friends, they ride off into the sunset Right, and then we see happily ever after. And that's kind of how we like life to go. We like to think that life is kind of this happily ever after thing. And so when we come to the book of Exodus, right, we have, we have God comes and he rescues his people, Israel, out of slavery. He brings them through the Red Sea. They watch him part the seas. They, they, then, they, then they stand on the seashore on the other side and they sing and if, and if Hollywood were telling the story, that's right where the sun would set, right? Moses and his boys, or Moses and his gang, as they're singing exuberantly on the shores of the Red Sea, all is well, happily ever after. Maybe we would have a, a flash forward to some distant future where Moses is a little bit grayer and a new generation of Israelites is about to go into the promised land and you know, in documentary style, we'd probably get like a freeze frame of Moses and the, the text would come across the screen that says, and Moses carried the people of Israel to the plum, promised land. And, you know, and then we would get the end and the triumphant music would sound. And that would be that. But that's not really the story, is it? That's not really how life goes. Life really doesn't play out usually happily ever after. Um, Exodus 15 is not the end of the story. The story doesn't end with triumph on the side of the Red Sea. Um, it actually keeps going. And what we find out is that things don't go as well, maybe, as we hope that they would. I mean, after all, what is it, what is it that happens on the other side of the big moment? What is it that happens on the other side of the sea? Israel has seen God work, but now they have to trust the God who works. Now they have to follow the God who works. And that, as we're going to find out, is a lot harder than just watching God work. After God saves, then he begins this process of trying and testing Israel so that they learn to follow him, so that they learn to trust him. And so here's what we're going to see in Exodus 16. God 
keeps rescuing his people even when we doubt him. And that's what happens from the end of 15. There's actually a story that we skipped over at the end of 15 and then 16 and then 17. There's going to be these repeated instances. And you know what? It keeps going after that where Israel will believe and then doubt, believe and then doubt. Right. In fact, the story of the wilderness is is a story of more failure than it is success. And yet what we're going to see is that God keeps rescuing. God keeps providing for his people even when we doubt him. And so we're going to look at this chapter under two big headings. And the first is this. Unbelief responds to God's grace with grumbling. That's, not, that's what it is, right? When, when we grumble against the Lord, that's nothing more than an expression of our unbelief. The fact that we don't trust God. Unbelief responds to God's grace with grumbling. Just look at the beginning of chapter 16. These people, they, they set out from Elam, which was a place, it was an oasis. There were springs there. There, were, there was palm trees there. It was great. Everybody had a good time. And then they move into the wilderness. And two million people moving into the wilderness poses a kind of a big problem. And that problem is there just ain't a whole lot of food out in the wilderness, right? There's grazing land. There's grazing land for cows, but there's just not a whole lot of food. And so uh, here we are a month out just about from leaving Egypt. And the people of Israel begin to grumble. Here's what it says. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, why against Moses and Aaron? If you've been with us, you remember that the Lord is actually with the people. He's leading them in a pillar of smoking fire. Right. If you needed any like, don't you kind of wish that that your day like the Lord would just walk in front of you with a pillar of smoking fire that like he was telling, no, go this way. Don't go that way. Don't do that. Right. Don't you kind of wish the Lord would lead you like that? Well, they had it because you think I think we think I think right that if if God would lead me like that, then I would never do anything wrong. And yet here Israel is guided by the presence of the Lord himself and they're still complaining. They're still grumbling. They're still failing to trust his goodness. Right. And so now, rather than grumbling against the pillar, because it's usually not a good idea to argue with a pillar of fire. You don't know what might happen. We're going to grumble against Moses and Aaron. After all, they represent the Lord. So I'm going to take my complaint to them, which is kind of like badgering the cashier. Right. Now, some of you, when you have a, a bad experience at a restaurant or something like that, um, some of us, those of us with a healthier view of life, we just kind of move on and just say we're not going to go back to that business. Some of you really have to push the issue, right? And so, right, this is when these are this is when you uh, you go badger the cashier, like you're going to go pick on the person who's making minimum wage and has no influence whatsoever on the policy of the restaurant, right? You go. That's like that's like beating up on an eight year old in a one on one basketball tournament, okay? But nonetheless, you do it. We do it. And this is what the people do. They come to Moses and Aaron and they say, what in the world have you done to us? And so this is the first thing I want to say about grumbling. Let's define this word grumbling. Maybe your translation says murmuring or complaining. Have you ever noticed that, uh, that nobody likes a whiner, but everybody is one? Right? Given, given, the, right, given the right circumstances... Given, like if somebody just pushes the, your buttons right, you become this person, right? You become the complainer. Um, so what is, what is grumbling? Grumbling comes from unbelief. It comes from a lack of trust. And here's what it's not. It's not what the Bible calls lament. It's not grieving. It's not, it's not going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't like this. Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, can you fix this? That's actually good, right? We have several examples of that. The book of Psalms, the, 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 the song, the worship book of the, of the Bible is actually mostly made up 
of songs like that, of prayers like that, where the people are saying, how long, O Lord? What will you do, O Lord? Right? The, the Lord Jesus even quotes from Psalm 22 while he's on the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what's good about that, what's good about expressing grief that way is that you're taking it to the Lord, right? You're saying, Lord, fix it. Make it right. That's good. We, 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 you know, we're, we're not going to stuff our feelings here. Like that's, we believe that is a good and right way to handle grief and discontent. But what the people of Israel are doing here is not that. They're grumbling. You'll notice that word grumbling was said more than any other word in this passage. So it tells you it's a big deal. And what it is, it's an, actually an, it's an act of open rebellion. The people of Israel are looking at the Lord and saying, you don't know what you're doing. I wish that, I wish that somebody else was in charge. That's grumbling. Grumbling is an open act of rebellion, right? That's the kind of complaining that we're dealing with here. And so what does that do to us, right? When... When we're in that place where we're grumbling against the Lord like that, what is that? What effect is that having on us? Well, the first thing that that uh, that that heart of unbelief does to us is it causes amnesia. Familiar with amnesia, right? It's where uh, some kind of brain trauma uh, makes you forget either all of your life or a portion of your life. Right? That's one of the dangers of having a head injury is it can cause amnesia. Well, unbelief causes amnesia, right? It causes you to forget what God has done, right? It causes you to forget God's goodness, right? This is, uh, this is not the first time that Israel has been caught grumbling. I mentioned at the end of chapter 15. Here's what's crazy about what happens at the end of chapter 15. The, what happens there is three days. That's how long it takes. Three days... Right. Uh, after Israel has left the Red Sea. So there they are by the Red Sea. Right. These people are singing the Lord will reign forever and ever. Right. You, I mean, like there couldn't have been more spirited, heartfelt worship on the planet at that moment. Three days later, they're walking into the wilderness and they're thirsty and they say, oh, my God, what have you done? Three days. That's how that's how long it took for them to forget the Lord will reign forever and ever. Right. And they get into the wilderness and they get to a place where the water is undrinkable. And they grumble. And God tells Moses to throw this tree in the water and it makes the water sweet. And they're all happy again. Right? And that sounds a little bit silly when you say it out loud. And then you remember, oh, that's me. That's what I do. I do the same thing. I grumble against the Lord in the same way. Unbelief causes amnesia. I forget that I just watched God Carry me through the deeps of the sea as soon as I get a little bit thirsty. All right? And the same thing is happening here, right? The, the people are now into the wilderness. It's a few more weeks after the, the bitter water incident, and they're hungry. Now, listen, hunger is a real issue, right? When, uh, when your dad and the kids are looking kind of thin... And the animals are, are bleeding, right? They're making noise because they don't have enough to eat. When your mom and there's no food in the pantry and your kids are kind of looking at you like, what, what's going to happen to us? What next? All right, so we don't want to downplay the, the real complaint here. It's not like, you know, I actually, I actually got rebuked uh, by another pastor. Um, I referenced this episode at some point. This was... This was many years ago, you know, when I was much younger than I am now. Um, but I referenced this event, and I, and I painted Israel as saying, you know, they were just complaining because they didn't get their Starbucks, right? And he, and he rebuked me. He said, he said no, you're, you're downplaying the seriousness of the issue here. It's not that they, just, that they were missing out on some extra. No, they didn't have food, they were really worried about going hungry. That was the real problem. And so we don't want to downplay that, right? I mean, we want to look to the Lord for our food. And so um, that's not the problem here. The problem here is the way 
that they go about it, right? Instead of, instead of looking for God's hand to provide, uh, instead of remembering, okay, the Lord saved us from the Red Sea and the Lord made the bitter water sweet, so maybe if we just ask, he'll provide food too, right? We'll have what we need to have. Maybe if we just ask, but you know what they don't ask? And you know what we don't ask? We get amnesia and we grumble. And so they complain, they rebel. But here's another thing that unbelief does. Not only does unbelief cause amnesia, it also causes nostalgia, right? Um, if you're not familiar with what nostalgia is, it's the, it's, uh, it's the origin of that, oh, for the good old days, right? Nostalgia is when you have a, a distorted view of the past and what was looks much better than it really was. Right. When you look back, uh, when you look back on the uh, on the olden days and say those days were far better than these days here. Uh, Let me just go ahead and say that the Christian life is not meant to be lived in nostalgia. And so if you find yourself in the present moment wishing for a generation past or for a culture past or wishing for some other era because surely it was godlier than this one. That is not how God wants you to live. God has placed you in the present moment. And I can absolutely guarantee you that the past was not as good as it looks. Right? History doesn't always tell the full story. Christians in the 1950s had their issues too. Okay? We are not meant to live nostalgically. We are meant to live presently. Unbelief causes nostalgia. Right? Where we... So here's, here's, how, here's what it looked like for Israel. I mean, this is... Look at, look, at that, look at what they say in verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord. That same hand that we praised for killing our enemies. Now they're saying, man, we wish it would have killed us too. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. Why? Because there we sat by the meat pots, right? We had bread all the time. Man, slavery, when you look back on it, was pretty good. We had plenty of food to eat while we were getting beat and being forced to make bricks 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That wasn't that great, guys? Wasn't it so much better than the hunger we're facing now? Surely it's better to be well-fed in slavery than it is to be free and starving, and so, unbelief causes nostalgia. And that, and that combination of sin-induced amnesia and nostalgia is toxic to our souls, right? Because we forget what we should remember, which is God's good all the time. And we remember something that wasn't really true, which is that slavery was better, right? And that actually is toxic to our souls because it causes us to be angry with the Lord, and it causes us to be bitter. And that's what really leads to the bottom line, is not only does unbelief cause amnesia, not only does it cause nostalgia, but ultimately it's an assault on God's character. Unbelief looks at God and says, you are not trustworthy, and you are not good, and you will not take care of me. And that's what they are doing. That's when we when we grumble, look, some of us, most of us, all of us, we like to justify our sin. Right? And in this particular case, we would we we justify our sin, we cover it by saying, Hey, listen, I'm just voicing my opinion. You know, you know me, I'm I'm gonna tell it like it is. And I'm I'm just saying we're hungry, okay? Well that's no, that's not what this is. Grumbling is an, is an assault on God's character. It looks at God and says, you are not trustworthy. You are not good. And that is outright sin. And we need to turn from it. And we need to repent of it. All right? And so, that's what unbelief does in our heart. That's what unbelief says about God. And it's interesting. Look at how Moses and Aaron respond. Moses actually says it twice. That's how fed up he is. He looks at him and he says, look, your complaint isn't with us. Stop badgering the cashier. Right, your com- Oops, sorry, Jennifer. I don't like your stand number. Your complaint is with that pillar of fire over there. Your complaint is with the Lord. 
That's who you're grumbling against. You can beat up on me all you want, but I'm just the messenger. The king is the one you need to talk to. And you know what? You know what? You know what begins to solve this unbelief problem? You know what begins to undo this, this toxic combination in our souls? God stepping in, right? I was uh, listening to a, another sermon on Exodus 15 by a guy named Matt Chandler. And uh, at, so Exodus 15, at the end of it, is where they have the, the bitter water made sweet. And what God tells Moses to do is to throw this particular tree into the water, and it, and it heals the water so that they can drink it. And, and what Matt Chandler said is, now, I would have wanted to do something else with that tree, right? Uh, and you can imagine Moses wants to do something else with the people of Israel, right? But God doesn't do that. God responds to their bitterness. God responds to their grumbling with more grace. If, if unbelief causes us to forget God's grace, it grumbles actually against God's grace. How does God respond to that? How does God heal that? He steps in with more grace. Do you notice what he said? Look there in verse, uh, look, look at verse 9, for instance. If you, Moses, Moses said to Aaron, tell the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. You kind of feel like that's the call to the principal's office at that moment, right? All right. You want to badger the cashier? The king's going to come tomorrow, right? You get, you get to meet with the person that you really wanted to talk to. Here comes, here comes the owner of the company. Uh, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. We don't know quite what that means, other than it was very obvious uh, that God's glory was there. So something special happened to the cloud that captured their attention. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. You want meat? You want bread? That was their complaint, right? Oh, for the good old days of slavery when we sat by the meat pots and had bread to the full. And so the Lord says, all right. I'll give you meat and I'll give you bread to the full. I will satisfy you. I'll give you exactly what you're asking for. I'll give you the, the, the source of your grumbling. Go back and look at verse 4. The Lord told Moses, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Look at verses 13 through 15. Here's, what, here's where it actually happens. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing as frost on the ground. So God miraculously causes quail to blow in at night. Right. And, and the reason, look, so what a lot of uh, scholars have tried to do with the Exodus is they try to look at different natural events. They did it with the plague. They do it with the Red Sea. They do it with this. They look at different natural occurrences and try to explain how uh, these these miraculous events could have happened just out of nature. OK, so, for instance, they'll say, like, you know, quails migrate. Right. And they and they. Uh, they take advantage of prevailing winds, and so it's probably just that the wind blew some quail into the camp. It's interesting that the quail show up right when God says they do. Right? That's probably a good sign of a miracle right there. Not that, not that just the wind happened to blow, but that God said, boom, here's some quail. Enjoy. Right? And then, so then the way that they, the way that they try to explain manna on the wilderness, on the wilderness floor, it's, it's just kind of funny. It's, uh, it's insect excrement. OK, uh, somehow like a combination of insects and lichen on the wilderness floor, like generate this flaky substance. Uh, and that's where the manna comes from every day for 40 years. Um, again, just a few signs that this is possibly miraculous. OK, it appears when the Lord says it does. It appears for 40 years and stops as soon as the Lord says it will stop. Um, it isn't affected by weather. It happens every day, right? Regardless of the conditions, the manna is always there. And so this is a truly miraculous provision. And so 
How does God respond to grumbling with more grace? First, there's the gift of food, the gift of of provision that satisfies. I'll give you bread to the full. You want to be satisfied? I'll satisfy you. And now and then he had there's this gift of testing. Now, that may not sound like much of a gift, but look in uh, look in verse four. He says, the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, okay, so that may not sound like much of a grace. That may not sound like much of a gift because I don't know about you, but I don't really like tests. Right. We don't really like trials. Usually they're very difficult things. Uh, But this made me think, Okay, what what exactly is a test for? If you think about um, at least for most of my educational career, my assumption was that a test was kind of the end goal. Right. As soon as I pass the test, I'm done. But that's not actually what a test is for. A test is not the end goal. A test is to show if you're ready for the end. Right. So if the end of education is that I am prepared for life, then I am given various tests in my education to make sure that I know what I need to know. And if I don't know it, then I can go back and and learn more. Right. So a test is not the end. A test helps get us ready for the end. And so God gives this manna as a test to see if Israel is willing and ready to walk with him through whatever. And there's the difficult thing, right, is tests usually, at least in this case, tests are not administered when all is hunky-dory, right? Tests are administered in difficult circumstances or it wouldn't be a test. Uh, there's, a, there's a great submarine movie. It's called Crimson Tide, of course, because the title's great. They even say Roll Tide in the movie, so that's even better. Um, but in that movie... It's Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington, two great actors. And um, Gene Hackman is the captain of the submarine, right? And Denzel Washington is his executive officer. So he's the second in command. And what Gene Hackman does is at some point, I can't remember exactly what happens. The submarine, you know, hits a rock or something's wrong. And so the the ship is actually uh, malfunctioning. And it's during that moment that the captain decides to run a nuclear test to make sure that they can launch their missiles if they need to. Right. And so, you know, it all it all works out fine. But but uh, but Denzel gets mad at the captain. Right. He says that was careless. That was not the time to be running a test. You put lives in danger. And that's when the captain says, no, that's exactly the time to run a test, because I need to know that we're ready Not when everything's going well, but when things aren't going well. And that's when God, God is not administering these trials by the seashore. He's administering them as they go through the wilderness because he wants to know, are you ready to follow me? Can you trust me? Can you trust me when you're thirsty? Can you trust me when you're hungry? Can you trust me when your kids don't turn out the way that you thought they were going to turn out? Can you trust me when when someone dies before you expected them to? Can you trust me? That's the way that's the way God's grace works. And so the manna is actually a small test, a major test, but a small one compared to a life of faithfulness. He wants to know that Israel is ready to follow. So the gift of food, the gift of testing. And then. There's the gift of rest. Verse 22. So it's interesting. Every day he gives them bread just for that day, uh, which maybe should make you think about Jesus's um, the Lord's Prayer. Right. Give us today our daily bread. Give us just enough bread for today. And of course, there are some people who fail that test. Right. Because Moses says, now, listen, you're only going to get it for the day. And then. And then it's gone and you've got to go gather it for tomorrow, which doesn't sound like like that would be all that hard for us. But for in an agrarian society, right, if you were if you're a farmer, you understand this, that you harvest when it's there because there's no guarantee that it will always be there. And so when God says, I want you to go out each morning and gather your daily manna. He's asking them to trust him that it will always be there. He says, don't gather any extra. 
Don't keep any over. I want you to trust me. I want you to go out each morning and get what you need just for the day. And then, lo and behold, because there's always those people, right, who want to test, who want to test the rules, right? There's rule, uh, there's rule pushers and then there's rule jumpers. And so Moses has got some rule jumpers. They decide they're going to keep some manna, right? Now nah, we're going to keep leftovers. And what happens to the leftovers? They grow worms and stink. It spoils, right? And Moses is angry, understandably so. He's kind of like, hey, didn't we just have this talk? Like I said, just keep it for the day. What's wrong with you people, right? So he tests them in that. Some of them fail the test. But then he gives them this thing called a Sabbath. And he says, okay, every day you gather just for that day, except when you get to the sixth day. On the sixth day, you're going to gather twice as much. Because I don't want you gathering on the seventh day. I want you resting on the seventh day. So you're going to gather twice as much. And here, here's another miracle. It's not going to spoil. Not only is there going to be twice as much. So see, if this, were, if this were insect poop, there wouldn't be twice as much. But there is. So there's going to be twice as much on the sixth day. And it's going to keep. Right? So something special, something miraculous again happens. And this is so that the Lord can give his people rest. And again, you have your rule jumpers who decide like, well, let's just go out and see if there's more out there. And of course, there's not. Right. So. But the gift of rest now. Now, we're going to talk more about this uh, when we get to the Ten Commandments section. It'll probably be in January. Um, but let's just let's just say this right here, uh, since we, since it's in this passage, let's let's read it. Um, in verse 23, Moses said to him, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath. That word Sabbath means to cease or to stop or to rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, all that's left over, lay it aside, and it'll be kept till the morning. And lo and behold, it was there in the morning, it didn't stink, and there were no worms. So check this out. Not only does he give them food, just enough for the day so that they'll learn to trust him, but then, and, and they have to work for it, right? They've got to go out and collect it because it melts away at the heat of the day, so you better get up early and go get it. Don't be lazy, right? But on the sixth day, he gives them a different gift. He says, go and gather your food because tomorrow you don't have to work. Do you hear that? You don't have to work. So it's, a, it's another form of a gift. It's another form of test because in the Sabbath, God is looking at our busy bodies and he's saying, you don't run the universe. If you don't gather the food, I'll still provide for you. If you don't work, I'll still provide for you. And that's the gift of the Sabbath. They didn't have it in Egypt. They worked every day, all day, every day. Go to sleep, wake up, do it again, right? But that's not the way God has designed us. That's not the way God has designed creation. We're actually designed to stop. We're designed to rest. And so this is an important gift to us that we often don't take, uh, we don't take advantage of it. And even in Moses' day, they didn't take advantage of it. Instead of, instead of resting like they were supposed to, instead of worshiping the Lord like they were supposed to, they went back out uh, to look for manna, and of course it wasn't there. And then finally... Um, so we have the gift of food, the gift of testing, the gift of rest, the gift that keeps on giving. Look at verse 33. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. That word manna, by the way, its literal translation is, what is it? They named it what they called it when they found it, right? When they found it on the floor of the wilderness and picked it up, they was like, what is it? That word is man. So manna. What is it? That's what they called it. All right. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of what is it in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of of Canaan. I just want to make this part quick. This gift, 
Right? This gift of manna is first so important that there will be one, one portion of it will never spoil at all. It will be kept in a jar in front of, uh, in, in the Holy of Holies, in the worship place, and it will be kept there as a reminder of God's goodness to Israel in the wilderness. So it's perpetual. It keeps on going. But also this, that for 40 years they eat manna. They keep grumbling, by the way, and God still gives manna. They reject God's holiness by making a golden calf. God keeps giving them manna. They reject God's promise by refusing to enter the promised land. They have to wander in the wilderness 40 years. You know what God does? He keeps giving them manna. God continues to respond to his people with more and more grace. Despite repeated grumbling and sinning, God keeps responding with grace, which takes us all the way to John chapter 6. If you want to, you can turn there. John chapter 6, verse 28. There's a crowd there and they're talking to Jesus. And they say, they ask him, uh, and they, they said to him in John six twenty-eight, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Right, so they're asking this guy, Jesus, who clearly has, seems to have an idea of what God requires. Okay, what, what do we need to do to be good, faithful, God-worshipping, God-honoring people? What does that look like? Tell us what we need to do to do the works of God. And here's what Jesus says. This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. You want to do the work of God? Trust me. Believe in me. I'm the one that He sent. Here's what they say to Him. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? All right, just a little bit of context. 24 hours previous to this moment, Jesus had been with people out in the wilderness and had fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So 24 hours prior to this moment, all it took was 24 hours, 24 hours prior to this moment, he had fed 5,000 plus people with a handful of food. And now here they are saying, so what sign are you going to do? What work are you going to do so that we can believe you? Right, okay. So, they keep going. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, Jesus, I mean, Moses, you know, Moses gave the people manna. What you got? Are you as, are, are you as trustworthy as, Mo, as Moses, huh? Are you, what, are you gonna, what, are, what have you done for me lately, buddy? Right? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, the manna is not really about the manna. The manna is me. The true bread of heaven that gives life to the world is me. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am Yahweh. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, the manna is not really about the manna. The manna is about the Jesus to come. And the Jesus who would come and not, and not take care of your physical hunger, and not take care of your physical thirst, but would take care of the, the hunger of your soul. That's what we really need. You see, the manna would, would run out at the end of the day. The people would be hungry again and they would have to, they'd have to wait for the next day's provision. The manna would stop when they got to Canaan. But Jesus says that he's the manna that never runs out. Jesus says he's the manna that will always satisfy. And, and whoever comes to him is satisfied completely, forever. And so maybe there is a happily ever after, after all. Maybe the fairy tales are true. Maybe the happily ever after 
is Jesus. And those who come to Jesus will always be satisfied forever. And that's good news. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Bread of heaven, feed us now and evermore. God, I don't, I don't really believe what I sang at the beginning of the worship service. I don't really believe. I'm like, uh, I'm like Israel. I sing, your grace is enough, but I don't really live like your grace is enough. I often murmur and complain and, and groan. And yet you continue to respond with more grace. So much grace that you sent your son to be the very bread that would satisfy me forever. Oh Lord, would you purge from us this murmuring, unbelieving heart that looks at you and says you are not good. And would you purge that from us by causing us to see Jesus in whom is all your goodness revealed. And may we come to Jesus and believe in Him and be satisfied forever, happily, ever after. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand uh, as we enter in a time of giving. Uh, Last week, we gave out these devotional books on generosity. If you weren't here last week, uh, we still have a few copies. uh, And our First Impressions team will be in the foyer at the back uh, to to hand them out. So if you didn't get one, grab one. Uh, let's, uh, Let's worship the Lord through giving.
pray for our food again. Please join us next door for uh, Soup Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the food that you have provided and pray, Lord, that you would bless it. Bless our time around the table. Help us to get to know uh, people that we don't, haven't met yet. Help us to make new friends and grow our old friendships. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you from the book of Jude, God's benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen.